episode 149 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday, February 18th, 2019. It is rivalry week. Duke plays Carolina on Wednesday. So let me be the first to say, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. I am your host today, Sam Klein, coming to you as usual from Durham. Uh, I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine back home in Washington, D.C. Donald, good morning. Uh, good morning, guys. I, as you mentioned, I was, I'm back in D.C. I was in Nebraska this weekend uh, for annual meetings with my soccer organization. It snowed the whole weekend there. Uh, Lincoln got about 10 to 12 inches of snow. And uh, for those of you out there, we had plans to record sometime yesterday or last night when I got back to D.C., but because of weather in Chicago – my flight got canceled. And so I didn't get home till after 1 a.m. So here we are recording this morning, stupid early. But uh, thank you guys for being flexible so I could join you for this one. And Sam, like you said, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. Indeed. And Jason Evans is in Atlanta. Uh, I think he is sneaking around recording the show today, right, Jason? Yes. Shh, don't tell anyone. No, I'm, uh, I'm at the uh, offices of CNN, which is uh, my day gig. And um, yeah, I, uh, I I had to sulk away from my desk for a little bit to record this podcast. Uh, so I'm on my phone. I can't be on my computer because CNN is a highly secure organization, and there are countless firewalls that prevent me from using a computer to access outside websites when I'm here. Okay, in that case, <laughs> um, let's uh, let let's get on with the show. Of course, uh, before we get started, this episode of the podcast, as always, is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA, uh, with law offices in Texas and in Florida. Bird Campbell, of course, as always, means business. So, guys, uh, since we at least since I last spoke to you officially, Duke has played hey, two hey, games. Hey, Sam, Sam. Yes, we have another sponsor also. Oh, that's right. Is the perfect time to talk about them. Yeah, our that's sponsor, right. Of course, our other sponsor. Yes. Yeah. You want me to do it? You want to do it? Go for it. <laughs> you seem more ready than I am. Yeah, no. Our other sponsor is GTHC, GTH.com. This week, more than any other week all year, is the week to know about GTHC, GTH.com. That, of course, stands for Go to Hell, Carolina, Go to Hell. And we just want to thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, and by the way, uh, we'll tell you more about them later, but if you go to GTHC, GTH.com um, and enter the promo code DBR, you get 20% off your order of your GTHC, GTH gear. And I'm saying GTHC, GTH so fast that I must stop now. Otherwise, I don't know, my lips will fall off or something. <laughs> so in case you didn't get that, GTHC, GTH. Uh, so if you need that again, I'm sure we'll post it on the uh, on the link to this podcast wherever you find it. Anyway, let's uh, let's get on to the actual basketball games. So like I was, as I was starting to say, since we last spoke officially, Duke has played two basketball games unofficially, or at least off air. We've spoken once uh, or since since the last game, because as uh, listeners might remember, and as as my compadres certainly remember, uh, after the Wilds comeback against Louisville on Tuesday night, we allegedly recorded a show uh, and I apparently or the group apparently wasn't recording so we had to do the whole thing over again but by that time i was uh, i was lost at the bar and didn't didn't know to come back out so anyway we got an episode out only donald and jason were on it so this morning what we're going to do is talk about duke's victory over nc state on saturday night in in cameron uh that i was in attendance for and then we'll go back again and kind of talk 
about the comeback against Louisville a bit more and, and sort of what our, our big takeaways are from that as we look ahead, of course, to the game on Wednesday night, the game that everyone always gets so excited for. Duke hosts North Carolina. The Tar Heels come into Cameron Indoor Stadium, now tied for second in the ACC. Uh, they had maybe looked like they were stumbling a bit earlier in the in the season, but they have rounded into form and are now tied with Virginia, although they they don't have the tiebreaker with them. Um, but same number of losses uh, heading into the Duke game. So it's a big one for Duke as they are likely going to be ranked number one this week. So let's start then with the NC State game. Duke, um, Duke let NC State hang around for a while. We had talked on the preview, I think, a couple times about how, of course, NC State, uh, given their recent lackluster performances, was going to was going to play really well against Duke, and and that's just sort of the way things work around here. So, Donald, why don't you kick us off? Tell us uh, your impression of the NC State game. Duke uh, ended did end up winning ninety four to seventy eight, but it was a tough one out there for the Blue Devils on Saturday. It was, uh, I, and I'm sure we'll touch on that uh, quite a bit. But uh, I, and also we'll probably talk about Zion Williamson in his thirty two points. But I have to start with. R.J. Barrett and 23 points, 11 boards, and 10 assists. The fourth triple-double in Duke history. The first since the landlord Sheldon Williams did it back in 2006. Uh, And you have to start with that. He was all over the place. He was helping to clean up the glass on a day where Duke was was very good in in the paint and the rebounding category, and we needed that. Uh, What a tremendous performance. It can't be understated because – in college basketball, to have a triple-double is very rare. Uh, like I mentioned, we've only had four of them. Uh, distributing the ball, 10 assists, zero turnovers. Um, being the man on the boards and adding 23 points, that's a hell of a day uh, for for the young man. So uh, congrats to R.J. Barrett for becoming the fourth uh, – for, for uh, logging the fourth triple-double in Duke history. Uh, now, Zion Williamson, uh, broken record time. Um <laughs> Phenomenal game, 32 points on 12 of 16 shooting, uh, six rebounds, three steals. He gets in a bit of foul trouble and, and once again had to play with four fouls. Um, but I feel like all of his fouls come from being aggressive. Uh, so it's it's easier to dismiss or at least forgive. Um, but it's something that you know I'm sure teams are going to be looking at to try and get him into foul trouble to get him off of the floor. Uh, and that's where a lot of times Duke struggles is when he is not on the floor uh, on offense and defense, because on, as you guys know, in the defensive end, you know, any shot that is that that is going towards the rim uh, from wherever on the court is in trouble when Zion's on the court because he can throw it in, into the stands or have you going the other way. So um, that is a, something to look to look out for uh, going forward. Trey Jones had a good shoot night, in my opinion, six for nine, 13 points. Uh, he had five assists, and Duke, you know, was moving the ball around. They had 21 assists and 35 made baskets. That's a pretty good uh, showing. Uh, and it really, when these guys move the ball around, we talk about how difficult this game was. But for me, it, it was difficult. But I feel like we always had NC State at arm's length. We we talk about how uh, in, in the preview couple shows ago about how we wanted this game to be an easy one. Uh, and I didn't think it was easy, but I didn't think it was difficult uh, in the sense that we were always kind of anytime they got close, we just kind of kept them, you know, just out of reach. Uh, and that's why I think uh, the 16 point victory was one that um, 
it, it seems it could seem comfortable for some people, but for others, I can see how it could be concerning. So uh, I'll stop there. So what you guys can touch on some of the rest and uh, I'll kick it back to you, Sam. Yeah. I, and, and I feel like we haven't, we haven't talked enough about RJ Barrett and the fact that he had a triple double with, with no turnovers. Um, I mean, what an amazing uh, performance by him sort of, you know, we've talked all season about how Barrett has been. Um, he he plays in a way that is not overly flashy, right? He doesn't have he doesn't have as many of the highlights as Zion does. Um, but on this night in particular, he was really efficient. Um, you know, driving the uh, driving the fast break for Duke, um, looking for those good passes, looking for Zion, looking for other guys on the team, and uh, that to me was was one of the most impressive performances of the night. But I know that Jason wanted to uh, come back to Zion Williamson and talk about specifically what NC State was trying to do to counter him. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on that? So my thought is, I'm not sure what they were trying to do to counter him. I, I, I think it's really interesting that what we saw here was an opponent who said, we're not going to go to some weird gimmick defense. We're not going to you know, pack it in in some way. We're not going to throw these strange double teams or anything like that at him. We're going to try and defend him straight up with a man-to-man defense. Um, uh, probably because they, probably because Duke is, you know, as the season progressing, we are becoming more and more prepared for seeing unusual stuff um, as teams try to stop Zion. And NC State said, so, hey, we're, we're, we're going to throw something fairly conventional at you. Um, I don't know why NC State did that, other than maybe they thought, oh, Duke will be surprised to see something normal. But State was just guarding Zion one-on-one, generally with a guy who, was not physically able to match up with him. That that means 99.9% of the human beings who play basketball, because <laughs> Zion is a freak. And and the state was woefully bad at stopping Zion Williamson. Um, uh, and that's one of the reasons, it, like Donald said, it was sort of this weird game where, like Duke never led by 20, I don't think, but we never led by less than eight. At least that's how it felt. I think maybe State may have cut it to six once or twice. But it was this weird game where you knew if things ever got worrisome, we would just dump it into Zion, and they weren't going to be able to stop him. They didn't seem interested in stopping him. Um, this was sort of, the, to me, the most effortless 94 points you'll ever see Duke score. I mean, Duke scored 94 points while shooting three of 16 from three-point range. Um, you know, it was... It, it was a very strange game. It was, it was almost yeah, but like Jason is like Jason isn't three of 16 from three and scoring 94, almost exactly what you'd expect from this Duke team. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of, I kind of, 94 is a lot, but no, I kind of agree. Um, it, it, it was almost to me like NC state. I don't want to say that they've given up, but I, I didn't feel like they were, you know, pushing really hard and expecting that, that with a ton of effort, they could win. I mean, look at the rebounds. We out-rebounded them 44 to 26. Rebounds, to a large extent, are, are a function of effort. And, and I don't know that State was putting in a ton of effort. I, I, just, I, I was very unimpressed with them from, from the standpoint of, of a team that wanted to do anything anywhere other than scoring for themselves. Um, they got 78 points. Hey, you know, good for you guys. But Hey, hey it, against, it, it against was never defense. Against Duke's defense, getting 78 points, even in a game that, that never quite got close again, is still pretty good, right? Yeah, although, you know, I'll, I'll wonder something. Is it possible that after the emotional roller coaster of Louisville and with North Carolina coming up on Wednesday, 
I mean, this is sort of the, it becomes, this becomes the ultimate trap game. I wonder if, you know, Coach K didn't ratchet down the intensity a little bit for the guys. I mean, it did not feel like we were, uh, you know, sort of like NC State. It didn't feel like we were pushing that hard. I didn't think we played particularly great defense. Um, uh, I, you know, we weren't getting out and, and getting all the, the steals that we that we got against against Louisville. Um, we we got a fair number of steals, but um, it, it just the whole game to me felt very pedestrian, like everything that happened that was supposed to happen. Um, and and okay, that's that's fine, that's great, you know. Um, I don't know, it, you know, as I look back over the season, this will be to some extent, to me, one of the least memorable games of, of the year. Uh, I, I just didn't think NC State brought the effort that required Duke to bring the effort for us to have something really, really interesting happen in this game. Uh, See, aside from and- R.J. Barrett, well, Bar- Barrett put up a statistical, you know, remarkable game, and, and that's great. And, and by the way, I want to mention, you know, we haven't guy we haven't talked about, Marquise Bolden, I thought, in the second half. Boy, what a game he had in the second half. Mm-hmm. And, and his line, nine points, eight rebounds. Four steals, three blocks. Whew. That's pretty nice. Pretty nice from your fifth best player. Yeah, we've we've talked extensively the last few weeks about Marquise Bolden sort of rounding into form here, and this was this was another example of that. Um, not so much in the uh, like down the stretch against Louisville, but definitely against NC State. Jason, I'll I'll disagree with you a little bit. I thought NC State was excited to be in this game. Um, sitting there in Cameron, I could tell that that they were pumped for it. Uh, the problem is that when it when it really comes down to it, NC State has to put in, you know, for the for the relative difference in talent, NC State has to put in a lot more effort to to be able to match Duke blow for blow. And they they weren't quite able to do that. That's not to say that they weren't trying very hard. Uh, but when their small guards get in the lane, uh, they were facing much bigger Duke guys who are able to alter shots and 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 push them out of the way in ways that that NC State can't really game plan for. Um, just just given the the general lack of size on the team, so I would say that NC State actually was playing like they really wanted to win. They just they just couldn't on this night, uh, and that's that's sort of the overwhelming factor about Duke this season. Um, is there anything uh, is there anything else you guys want to want to hit on on this NC State game before we come back to um, before we come back to Louisville? I thought Jack White played pretty nicely, um, and it was great to see him get a couple buckets. Um, uh, you know, he had that one chase down block <laughs> you know i mean I, I feel i feel bad now I, I sat there and i sort of derided the efforts that both teams put in on this game um jack white put in some effort uh, that chase down block was really impressive and if only he had hit that three-pointer at the other end uh, you know a, a, as we came back the other direction uh, the the absolute roof would have come off oh yeah um, that was Cameron. that was the best that was almost the best moment of the night right we yeah. Well, and I, I could feel it. I was like, "Oh boy, here, here we go." And and I really wanted Jack to hit that. The the, the ball was, you know, three quarters the way down into the basket, and then kind of rolled out um, on a three pointer. I, I got a question for you guys. This is going to be amazing. Do you know it's been more than a month since Jack White hit a three pointer? The last time Jack White hit a three pointer was against Florida State. Uh, really yeah, not great. That for a second. That's, <laughs> not great. Um. You know, for a guy who, uh, you know, he, he was draining them early in the season and, and was such a key player off the bench. And he's seen, um, it, it's sort of weird. It's like, uh, you know, we had those games where, where Trey was out and, and Jack was playing 40 plus minutes. Yeah, I mean, literally every second of the game, pretty much against Syracuse and Virginia. And, and his minutes have 
dwindled dramatically and, and like literally playing those heavy minutes seems to have taken his shot away because he has not hit a shot um, since Florida State. So it was nice to see him get – he had a couple nice um, buckets in this game, got got himself six points, three or four from the field. So um, it, it'd be great to have the Jack White of, De- of November and December back for Duke now that we're into mid, mid-February. Donald, anything to finish us off here? Yeah, I just want to briefly also uh, comment on the uh, hustle uh, defense, especially of Javin Delorier. He had you know six rebounds and three blocks. Um, he, while he didn't register a point, I thought his effort on the defensive end was was very very good uh, when he was in the game, and, and was really you know the stats show uh, at least for for uh, game yesterday or Saturday now um, that he had really you know it, it, I'm glad that those stats kind of reflect. Uh, his effort on the defensive end uh, against NC State. So I want to bring it back to the Louisville game because as I mentioned at the top, I haven't actually gotten to comment on it officially on the show. And I will admit that on Tuesday night, I was... I said I was watching the game at the bar. There were a lot of people around. I didn't really get to focus in as as Duke was making the comeback. Um, so I I I wasn't watching every steal and every uh, Jordan Goldwire miss layup. Sorry, uh, every Jordan Goldwire steal uh, along the way. But um, I did, for your sake, uh, get up this morning and rewatch the second half of the game just to be sure that I knew all the nuances. And guys, my big takeaway: Did you realize that Dino Gaudio is an assistant coach for Louisville? I mean, what a what a uninspiring guy to have around on the bench during a, an epic <laughs> collapse, right? He, that, uh, that's the that's the fun. That, like, that's probably the you know. If I had known that, I would have I would have called victory a lot earlier. Yeah, I I, I didn't realize that. So, for those who don't remember, Dino Gaudio was the was the unimpressive uh, head coach of Wake Forest a number of years ago uh, in the post Skip Prosser era. Uh, sort of the first coach of the of the dec- of the current decline of Wake Forest. Anyway. Um, so in rewatching, in rewatching the comeback, um, the thing that is so striking, and I, I think we talked about it on Tuesday night was that the, the Louisville crowd was, was in this game and they were fired up and Louisville was winning by 20 and, you know, nine minutes left. It felt like, it felt like victory was inevitable for them. And then as soon as Duke got going, Cam Reddish hit a couple of threes. And as soon as that happened, uh, it felt like the crowd just disappeared to the point where it turned from screaming into just like a murmur in the, like a, like an like an unhappy murmur in the room for the last eight, nine minutes of, of this game never felt like Louisville got their mojo back. And then the announcers really said it. Well, Duke started applying pressure and Louisville didn't have anybody on the team who felt like, um, who felt like taking control of the game and, and making a good shot, making a good pass. They were, they were lost for the end of the game there. Uh, And, and that is entirely credit to, to Duke and the, the pressure defense that they started playing when um, Zion Williamson came out for a bit, he came back in, he had some foul trouble, but the, the big key here on the defense was Jordan Goldwire subbing in for Duke and he and Trey Jones just deciding that Louisville was not going to cross half court without, without wanting to cross half court. That, that there was going to be no wasted effort uh, from the Cardinals going 94 feet. And that I think was the, was the essential key here. You know, Duke, Duke is a great offensive team. They're they're going to figure out how to make shots for the most part, you know, save perhaps for that 
game against Syracuse and Cameron. Um, so the shots eventually will fall for Duke. What was key here was them just really dialing up the defense and deciding uh, Louisville wasn't wasn't going to to get easy baskets anyway down the stretch. Uh, and they made sure that happened, and and they all sort of bought in with a few minutes left and realized that they were going to win the game, right, Jason? Yeah, and I'll tell you something. So I've also rewatched it. Um, I think five times. <laughs> oh my goodness! A, I thought I was. It's a, I, I thought I was, I was exceptional here. Oh, it is a lot of fun to watch, and um, I, I I hop on my exercise cycle um, in the evenings, so so I can stay in shape. And uh, usually, you know, I have some show recorded that I watch. Lately, I've been just watching the final nine minutes of the Duke Louisville game, and, and I'll tell you something. By the way. There's sort of this misnomer, I think. Everyone's like, 23 points in nine and a half minutes. Guys, the real comeback, the really amazing comeback, is 19 points in six and a half minutes. Because for the first three minutes of the comeback, yeah, I mean, you know, we make up four points. But at that pace, we weren't going to get there. The steel barrage, these three-pointers raining down, um, Louisville going into an absolute panic happens in the final six and a half minutes when Duke was down 62 to 43. That's 19 points in six and a half minutes. That's absurd. It's crazy. And that's, again, when the steel barrage that you're talking about happens. There, by the way, there are some just oh, so wonderful comments out there from people writing about this game. Um, I, I, there was a comment on Reddit. I, I adore this. And this is so perfect for the ACC. Someone said Duke's comeback was almost an entire NC State game worth of points, referencing the fact that NC State scored 24 points the other day against Virginia Tech. Oh, I and, neglected. And said, hey, on that on that topic, I neglected to mention yeah. that the Cameron Crazies were going nuts when NC State was approaching 24 the other day. That was great. <laughs> Loved that. ESPN made comment on, on the on the number of points. Too. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, good. yeah, they anyway, made sorry. The, the the comeback versus the number of points they had scored the other day. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Wait, finish that thought, Jason. I, I, I was gonna say, uh, uh, I think that twenty four points, an NC State game worth of points, needs to be a un, new unit of measurement for the future. We should always be able to reference twenty four points as being an NC State game. Um, <laughs> uh, ESPN's Reese Davis had an amazing line about Louisville. He said they were handling the ball like it was coated in baby oil and wrapped in rattlesnakes. <laughs> I'm like, that's so awesome. <laughs> that is that is very funny. And did you guys see what Louisville did in their very next game? They almost blew another lead. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, as if Louisville wasn't shell-shocked enough by this Duke game, Louisville was up eight points with about, uh, I think, about a minute to go against Clemson. Yeah, Again, even playing minute. at home. I'm sorry? It wasn't even a minute left. It was like under it was like under 50 seconds left. They were up eight points. Yeah, and, and Clemson came back, and eventually Louisville was up by one with three and a half seconds left inbounding the ball. Louisville has the ball up one with three and a half seconds left, and they threw the ball away. And a Clemson guy was going to take about a five-footer to win the game and destroy Louisville's, you know, season, lifetime, whatever you want to call it. And, and Jordan Wara, um, who's turning out to be clearly Louisville's best player, blocked the shot and saved Louisville's season because I don't know how. It, that would have been mentally just an absolute nightmare for them forever. So uh, I, I kind of feel for Louisville. They're, they're a decent team. And they just barely held on against Clemson. I, it, they're never going to feel safe 
they're never going to feel safe all year. That might be a that might be a great thing for them though. No, probably not. <laughs> we we don't know. Look, with like I said, with Dino Gallo on the sidelines, what could possibly go wrong, right? Right. Um, <laughs> I wanted uh, Donald um, talk to me again about uh, at what point in this game you realized that Duke was going to win it. Uh, so let me talk about for I, I'm going to get to that, but I want to talk about kind of the the setup of it, like what went wrong in those middle 20 minutes. And Jason, you, I know we talked about this a little bit on uh, when on Tuesday after the game, uh, you know, we couldn't shoot. We panicked. We let, we just let Louisville and the crowd just blow our doors off in that middle, like, you know, between the 10 minutes mark of the uh, uh, first half and right about the 10 minute mark of the second half, you know, whatever it was, be it, you know, the team did get in Louisville until late that night before the game, the fact that they were just off, the fact that they were coming off of that Virginia win on the road, like Louisville was playing with no fear and we were absolutely shell shocked at the, the effort that they were putting into. Now the comeback, it kind of flipped, but from our standpoint, I, I want to talk about how we as, as fans watched it because those of you out there, we are fans. We're not, we're not journalists or anything like that. We, we watch the game with it, with the same passion that all of you out there do. We just sometimes are watching with uh, box scores and, and looking at Twitter and it just kind of taking in the, our surroundings as well while we're watching the game. But I feel like f- for most fans, um, the stat sheet didn't matter that last 10 minutes. It was just the game and, and, and the comeback and being able to watch it and take it in in the form that you were or, or wherever you were uh, and whoever you were with it, you, everyone's going to remember that part. Like I still remember who I was with and where I was when uh, the miracle minute AKA gone in 54 happened uh, back in 2001. I remember who I was with. I remember how I was reacting. I remember how we celebrated. And, and I feel like at this game is going to be one of those games where um, I, I stopped looking at the box score about you know with about eight minutes left and saying you know okay we're 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 doing something and i'm just gonna watch this and see how it plays out i think sam when i thought we were going to win is when basically there was right after we hit the two-pointer to get i'm sorry it's a two-pointer to get down to three points and we basically you know pressure defense again louisville barely got it over the 10 second line um in time and right as they did that, we took the ball from them um, because they there was three guys and all three of them did not want the ball. And so they threw it. And and that's when uh, RJ Barrett stole it, drove down uh, the right side and dribbled through his legs uh, or passed it through his legs um, to Cam Reddish. And as soon as Cam Reddish shoots that three in 99 percent of situations, we're like, that is the dumbest three you could ever take um, because it was a kind of a follow-away three with two guys in his face, one of them being R.J. Barrett, because R.J. Barrett was in fr- was right in front of him when this happened. And as soon as he released the ball, I got up out of my seat because I knew it was going in. And at that point, if you're like, if this ball is going in, we're going to win this ball game. And, and that's kind of those moments where you 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 say the stat sheets, the the box scores, the 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 scenarios, and all the percentages did matter. And you knew that that game was going our way. And because moments like that, just like when Jay will stole the ball and, and hit that second three um, to bring us in, in Golden 54, just like when Shane Battier hit that block 
um, at the very end, you knew that that was an iconic moment. And that's going to be one of the moments that we remember about this game. Yeah, for, hey, Donald, for all know, the for all of Cam Reddish's um, you know struggles this year with the shooting and everything, he's been he's been in the middle of some of the best highlights of the season for Duke yeah, as absolutely. far as actually winning the games. Um, you know, obviously the the oh, game oh, winner against dude. Florida State, and then and then on Tuesday night against Louisville, certainly. Mm-hmm. Dude, dude, I've got an amazing stat about that. Um, ben Swain. Um, if you don't follow Ben Swain on Twitter, you're you you're should. missing something. You're a Duke <laughs> you really fan. Should. Ben Swain tweeted, tweeted out the most amazing set of stats about Cam Reddish. It, it broke down his three-point shooting on the year and, and then what his three-point shooting is during the first half um, or when, when Duke leads by more than seven points versus how he shoots when Duke is trailing, tied, or we lead by less than six in the second half. I think we can all define games where Duke is tra- trailing, tailing, Games where Duke is trailing, tied, or leading by less than six, these are close games. This is when you need Cam. In those situations, Cam is hitting 52% of his three-pointers. Think about that. This is a guy who struggled with his three-point shot. All other situations, first-half shots, games where Duke is blowing teams out in the second half, he's hitting 31% of his threes. But when, when we are losing, when the game is tied, or when we lead by less than six in the second half, Cam's hitting 52% from three. That, sounds that, like Duke needs to just ratchet up the pressure on Cam Reddish and yeah, figure out how go. to make him, make, and, him, make him feel like it's an end game situation every night. And two other lightning, lightning fast things. First of all, I don't know if you guys saw it, but on NCAA.com, the NCAA basketball website, they have a video of the final nine minutes, all this, every scoring play, every change of possession, everything that happens in that final nine minutes. And in the corner of the screen, they have the percentage chance of Duke to, to win or lose the game. Um, and, and you can see it change each time something happens. Uh, you know, it goes from the 99.9% chance that we're going to lose um, all the way up to 100% when, when um, Zion grabs the rebound and, and time runs out. And it's so much fun to sort of watch that counter change. But when, it, when Cam hits the three-pointer that Donald was talking about earlier, it only goes to, I think Duke, Duke is like a 60% chance to win at that point. It's not even that. It's like around 50%. And I, th- I was like, no, no, no. It should have changed to 100% at that moment. Because like that mm-hmm. one said, the game, the game was over. The game was yeah, over th- when that happened. Jason, I don't think the metrics have feelings like that. But um, <laughs> I, admire, I, admire, I admire your commitment to, uh, to the soft side of, of the game. That's a, but, that's a great one. Here's a better way to – here's a good way to put it. When, when you have a comeback of that nature, I don't care what team you are, and you come all the way back, it's very rare that a team does all that comes back from such a deficit and loses. Uh, it may take overtime to do, but they're not doing it in regulation. So at certain point, you, you just kind of say, look, the, just the, the, the script, whatever, whatever life has written, um, it does not write a team coming back from down 23 points to tie. And then all of a sudden just, oh, we're going to lose this game. Um, so I think for most people out there, when, when Cam hits that three, they're like, well, the script has been written. It's over, and it's just a matter of whether this plays out now or it plays out in overtime. Carolina, 
This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by GTHCGTH.com. As any Duke fan knows, that stands for Go to Hell, Carolina, Go to Hell. And it is your go-to website for Go to Hell, Carolina branded hats, t-shirts, rally towels, foam fingers, and any other gear that shows off your true feelings for those cheaters down the road. So we should probably add that GTHC GTH is the brainchild of one of the most beloved Blue Devils, our own Kenny Denard, a four-year starter who played in a record 14 rivalry games against the Tar Heels. DBR podcast listeners this week get 20% off your first order at GTHCGTH.com by using the checkout code DBR. That's DBR, like the podcast. This offer is available to our podcast listeners this week and all the way until the end of the regular season. So check out GTHCGTH.com. So as we mentioned, and as everybody knows, Duke uh, hosts the Tar Heels this week in Cameron. It's it's the big game. And uh, I'll start with you, Jason. Um, tell me about your thoughts on UNC and what Duke has to do uh, to be victorious in the latest edition of the rivalry. Well, so I, I, the thing that sticks out to me about Carolina, if you'd asked me in the preseason who's going to be North Carolina's best player this year, I would have probably rattled off at least four names before I got to the name of Kobe White. And Kobe White has, unque- the, you know, freshman guard has unquestionably been Carolina's best player this season. Um, uh, he he's the man with the ball in his hands at all times. Um, he takes all the big shots for them, um, and and they really run things through him. Um, and and that's hugely surprising for a team that has, you know, Cam Johnson is like a seventh year senior. I think Luke May has been there for twelve seasons. Uh, do I have those numbers right? I, I may be slightly off about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think um, twelve is right for Luke Bay. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think Luke uh, Bay was a backup on the on the ninety or on the two thousand five national championship team, and I'm pretty sure he was a backup in ninety four too. Oh, he definitely played with Michael Jordan. He and Sam yeah. Perkins used to go out. Yeah, yeah, they used to go out to bars all the time. Luke May's been there for for four or five generations. Um, Kenny Williams is a senior. This is a this is a team full of very very experienced players. So for me to be saying that Kobe White a freshman guard is the guy who has the highest usage rate on the team by, by a fairly large margin. That, that really tells you something about Kobe White. Uh, and, and it also tells you something about their other stud freshman, Nasir Little, who, who has dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, this is a guy, he was, he was one of the MVPs of the McDonald's All-American game. This is a guy who every expectation was that he would have the impact on college basketball that R.J. Barrett and uh, and Zion Williamson have been having, and he's had an incredibly disappointing season. It is yet another kid that um, highly ra- ranked who comes to North Carolina, and Roy Williams says, "Oh, hey, son, see that thing over there? That's the bench. You're going to spend a lot of time there watching other people play basketball." Um, it's sort of unfathomable the way Roy Williams treats his highly touted freshman, um, uh, and and it has hurt Matthew Little's stock tremendously in the NBA draft. Um, I really wonder what kind of game we're going to see from Little because he knows RJ and Cam and Zion and Trey really well. These are guys who played in all the all-star games together. They played on the AAU circuit against each other. These guys know each other. Um, and Nasir Little is the kind of guy who, uh, who probably, you know, you would expect to be a really good matchup, um, not with Zion because he's not really that kind of player, but with RJ certainly. 
Um, and, and I don't know how much he's going to play for Carolina. And I don't know how much he's going to, um, you know, maybe be inspired a little bit by playing against, you know, some of his old buddies and maybe remembering the days when, when he was a really, really good player before he went to North Carolina and, and somehow Roy Williams ruined his game. Um, but, but to me, the key to this game is going to be how Carolina tries to deal with the monster that is Zion Williamson because Carolina, for the most part, they do a lot of trapping and stuff, but they mostly play man-to-man. They don't play a lot of zone. Um, there's no one on the North Carolina roster who really has any chance of effectively matching up with Zion Williamson. Luke May you know, is somewhat limited defensively anyway, and uh, he, he just doesn't have the quickness. There's no chance that he'd be able to stay in front of Zion. Cam Johnson, who has the size, uh, does not have the you know the physicality. He doesn't have the bulk. He doesn't have the the defensive skill set and mindset to be able to stop Zion. If Carolina doesn't try something gimmicky, I don't see I don't see how they're going to stop Zion. Um, and and really, to me, Carolina's big hope in this game has got to be that they just get really really hot. I mean, they're they're a very very good shooting team. You know, Carolina's uh, their three-point percentage is 20th best in the country. They hit close to 40% of their threes. Um, now, Duke has been really, really effective at stopping teams from hitting, you know, high percentages of three-pointers. I mean, look, uh, Carolina is not as good a three-point shooting team as Virginia is, and and Duke has, you know, Duke was great against Virginia twice um, in stopping them from from really going off from long range. But but to me, that's Carolina's big hope is that they will be able to, you know, rain down threes on Duke because they don't really pound the ball inside all that much um, on offense. And and defensively, um, they're good. But, um, I, you know, Carolina's they're, – they're not – the only thing they really do great is rebound, um, uh, you know, in terms of defensively. They're, they're not a team that's going to get a ton of steals. They're not a team that's going to get a ton of blocks. Um and uh, but they're a very very good rebounding team. The rebounding battle can be really interesting to, to note in this game. Duke and Carolina are both two of, two of the best rebounding teams in the country. I mean, you know, Carolina is always great on offensive rebounding. Um, but I, the, the the heels are very good this year. That I'm not going to say they they've got no chance in this game, not by any you know not by any stretch, especially in the rivalry. Um, but but I think their best chance is going to be that that they're really hitting their threes and that they're. Um, that they beat us on the boards. Those are the two, the two things I'm going to be looking at mostly in this game from a statistical standpoint uh, are are those two areas. Jason, I I think you, I think you summed it up there really well that, that the way Carolina can beat Duke is, is with the rebounding and with the shooting. Um, Fortunately for Duke, those are two things that, that Duke counters. Well, Duke also rebounds at a, at a pretty elite level and the defense, as you noted, especially against teams like Virginia, around the perimeter has been very strong for Duke this year. I'm also glad that you led with, with Kobe white. I think he's the, he's the key for UNC as much as Luke may takes up a lot of attention. He's Luke may is averaging almost a double double this year, but Kobe, right. Kobe white really drives the machine. That is the UNC offense. And I'm excited to see how he plays against Trey Jones. And, and if, um, if Duke's able to contain, or at least, you know, limit Kobe White with just Trey Jones, then it's going to be a tough night for UNC. Um, the 
the other interesting thing about Carolina as you as you look at them is that Roy Williams is famous for playing the long bench as opposed to Coach K likes to only keep it to six or seven guys if he can. Uh, only Luke May is averaging 30 minutes a game for this UNC team. Everybody else is in the 20s or below. So you see a lot of guys subbing in and out for UNC. Duke uh, doesn't hasn't really gotten overwhelmed by things like that this year. They haven't gotten in a ton of foul trouble. Uh, Zion, of course, had flirted with with fouling out of of the games this weekend, but but ultimately was able to contain himself and and Duke was able to employ the zone defense to sort of limit the fouls. That hasn't really been a problem for the Blue Devils this year, but UNC does run a lot of guys out there. So Duke's going to constantly be seeing different looks from them. Even even Kobe White, who as we've now noted, is arguably UNC's most important player, isn't even playing 30 minutes a game. Um, so he'll get a lot of breathers. You wonder if that, you know, I'm not sure that Duke counters by also playing more of their bench, um, but uh, look for look for UNC to be constantly trying to change the look against Duke. Donald, what else do you have to add on uh, on Carolina for this week? Well, I, I think you guys uh, touched on a lot of it, but I, I I think the rebounding battle is 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 a little understated. I mean, North Carolina it statistically is the best rebounding team in the country. And they have nine more rebounds than Duke does over the course of the season. Duke is number two. So uh, that rebounding battle is going to be where um, where a lot of this, you know, statistically where this game will lie. Um, we, we actually are better offensive rebounding shooting, uh, offensive rebounding team than North Carolina is. So if we can keep them off the glass and also, you know, especially on offense, that's where a lot of times when they beat us, it's because they have a ton of offensive rebounds. I, I remember a game a couple of years ago where North Carolina was down about seven or eight points and came back and won. And it was off of the course of second chance points because they got 15 offensive rebounds in uh, the span of like 10 minutes uh, in the second half. And that was, was what really drowned us. If we can limit that, um, they're not going to get opportunities to make those second chance points. And also we're out in the break and we're running. Uh, I don't think they can keep up with us for 40 minutes running uh, up and down the court. And I think that is where we have an advantage. I mean, they can score well too. They're, they're second in the nation scoring. We're fourth in the nation scoring. And so really it's about taking away the opportunities that they have to put the ball in the basket. Where are they best at it? They're best at it when getting second chance points uh, and, and shooting the three as Jason and you, and, and you Sam uh, alluded to. So if we can drop them um, when it comes to those two areas, that's really going to help our confidence. And honestly, we want to get to a point where the X factor of Cameron is, is the difference. Uh, obviously we, we, for every UNC game, we want to beat them by like 900 points. Um, but when we get to a point where Cameron is the X factor, um, that's where we're going to have the edge. And, and you know, Cameron is going to be uh, what's, what do they call it, Sam lit? I believe is what they call it. Um, oh, I think it, I think it might be lit on Wednesday night. It might be lit. And if it's lit, you know, we want to get to that point where, um, you know, every where it seems like every 50 50 ball is going our way. Every every ball that's in the air on a rebound is pulled down by a Duke guy. Every three pointer that is shot from UNC is contested. Every, you know, every transition bucket seems like we are getting uh, where, you know, the, in the spots that we want in the floor to make good plays. And, and when that happens, that's when we beat UNC. And I think that's the key. What you're saying is we're going to have such a good time that I'm not even going to complain about how cramped it is at, you know, for the for the most popular game of the season in the student section. Is that, you might, is that what you're you saying? You might not. You might not complain 
at least during the game or before the game. You might okay. wait until after the game. All right, that works. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll obviously revisit that topic repeatedly. Donald, I did want to look ahead again at um at the Syracuse game because I didn't want to overlook the fact that uh, Duke after the UNC game travels up to New York to play Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Of course, this is uh, Duke's potential for a revenge game from from the game in Cameron about a month ago when the Blue Devils lost to Syracuse without Trey Jones for basically the whole game and and without Cam Reddish. Obviously, this is a this is a different Duke team that that travels to play the Orange. So you know relative to that game and, and don't just tell me, well, they have Trey Jones. So that's good. Tell me something that you want to see as an improvement for Duke um, over what we saw from them the first time against Syracuse. Uh, I, I think we need to improve on our shot selection against uh, Syracuse. Um, you know, Syracuse is a team that is going to, they're going to be hyped for this game. Uh, the carrier dome is going to be full. Uh, it's going to have 35,000 plus, and everyone's going to be excited about this game. When we played them last time, um, once Trey Joe's went out, we tried to make it up with the three ball and we couldn't do it. We were nine for 43. Uh, meanwhile, Syracuse was 11 for 25 and felt more efficient um, with their offense than we were, even though we attempted the same number of shots. Um, when we had the ball, I mean, they out rebounded us as well. So that is all hustle. Um, we, we had um, moments in that game where we could come back and, and take the lead and, and never look back. And every single time, we fell flat and Syracuse was able to capitalize on that. So uh, in carrier dome on Saturday, we have to make sure, and this is going to be one of those Saturday noon games. So it's going to be a, a very, you know, an early start after uh, an emotional game against UNC. How do we respond? How do we get that energy and put it into beating the orange? We have to have that energy um, on, on both ends of the floor, but especially on defense where, they seem to be um, very efficient. They let Ty's battle run wild. He had 32 points against us. Um, and, and Elijah uh, Elijah Hughes had 20. So we got to have those guys in the teens because if they're in the teens, they're not winning this basketball game. And that also was where a lot of their emotion came from, uh, was from those guys making plays. So um, limiting those guys, limiting you know our shot selection and being more efficient with it, I think we have a much better chance. And, and yes, Trey Jones is the X factor. Trey Jones was was destroying them before he got hurt. Um, so let's hope he can, you know, we can get him active on both offense and really on defense where that pressure defense was hurting them until he was out. You, you know, Syracuse is eight and four in the ACC right now. Um, and I'm prepared at this moment to predict that Syracuse is going to finish. They're eight and four. They're going to finish nine and nine. They're about to enter a gauntlet that is really difficult to check out their final games this is how their acc season ends they they play louisville then they play duke then they play north carolina then they get wake thank goodness they get wake because otherwise they wouldn't win any of these games then they play virginia then they're at clemson at the end of the year that is that is and clemson by the way playing way better than they were earlier in the season that is a rough rough stretch louisville duke north carolina wake virginia clemson this this syracuse team I think is about to start really reeling, um, which is not uncommon for Syracuse late in the year. That uh, seems to have, you know, put themselves on the bubble. Seems to be the 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 way Syracuse plays just about every season. You mean and, before uh, they before they come back, beat a number one seed in the second round, and then end up in the final four? 
Exactly. Exactly. They play themselves onto the bubble, and then they reach the NCAA tournament and and shock everyone by by making the Sweet 16 or the Final Four or something like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Syracuse team, and they've been reeling lately. I mean, you know, their wins lately. They beat Boston College twice. They beat Pitt. Other than that, like they're losing to Virginia Tech, lost to Florida State, lost to NC State. Um, they're they're not playing, you know, really great basketball at the moment. Uh, and, and, you know, just because I, I mentioned a gauntlet, I, I did want to add something. You know, for Duke, we are now, you know, right smack in the middle of this six-game stretch that we all identified as being a, uh, you know, a brutal, brutal, really difficult stretch. ESPN, by the way, put up a graphic that the six-game stretch that Duke is in the middle of right now is the hardest six-game stretch of any team in college basketball this year. Uh, pretty remarkable stat when you think about it. But it was Virginia, Louisville, NC State. We're now 3-0 and in the six-game stretch. And we've got Carolina, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech coming up as the final three games in the stretch. It is amazing that we're 3-0 and so far. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like our chances in the final three games um, uh, to maybe get through this ridiculous gauntlet that we had to run, the toughest gauntlet of any team in the entire country. Um, perhaps getting through it unscathed would be really, really amazing. I think we're going to want a lot of revenge against Syracuse. Um, I know it's at their place, but they're going to have to they're going to have to play an incredible game, I think, to 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 be in this contest against Duke. Well, they should be extra motivated because they know uh, they know that that it's a tough stretch coming, and that they have an opportunity if they if they do play well to separate themselves. As we said, Duke and North Carolina are right there at the top of the ACC along with Virginia. And then there's one game in the last column difference um, separating those three from the next big group that all have four losses. Uh, so any of Virginia Tech, Louisville, Florida State, and Syracuse uh, are vying for that last um, that last double buy in the ACC tournament. And I think that's a that's a big motivator for all of those teams. So we'll see um, we'll see which of them sort of emerges from that group. And then behind them, NC State and Clemson are uh, tied at seven losses. So they're probably, you know, for the purposes of that part of the discussion, they're basically out. Um, so a couple of these teams that we have coming up, Syracuse and then and then Virginia Tech are, are, are really still in contention for that for that final buy. So we'll see how that all plays out. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, as always, is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and in Texas. For all of your business legal needs, contact birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. And Bird Campbell reminds all of you that Carolina is going to hell. Okay, guys, let's finish up the show as we do every week. Uh, we'll, we will start with our player of the week selections, and then we will go to parting shots. Uh, Jason, why don't you start us off? I think there are a few good choices you could make this week. Who is your player of the week? I'm, I'm going to go with R.J. Barrett. Um, Zion Williamson is unstoppable. Uh, there are a lot of guys who had, who had big games, big weeks. But uh, R.J., fourth ever triple-double. Um, in Duke history and uh, and a number of key, key baskets down the stretch um, uh, against Louisville as well and some key defensive plays. And, of course, 
the pass between his legs to Cam for the for the game tying, but we really know it was the game winning shot. Um, I, I, my player of the week is RJ Barrett. All right, Donald, who you got? Uh, fifty nine total points. Um, this week I, I'm going with Zion. Um, it, and really it was a coin flip. I, I found a a four headed coin. Um, so that I could pick between Zion, uh, RJ, Trey, and um, uh, and Cam. So uh, I, I'm sorry, it's going to be Zion this week. He's otherworldly. Um, but there's a lot of people who uh, deserved uh, to get some mention this week. Here's the thing about Zion Williamson, who I'm also going to take, despite the fact that RJ Barrett had the only the fourth triple double in Duke history. Zion Williamson, you know, for all the attention he gets for the blocks and for the dunks and the shot making and, and the runouts. Did you know that Zion Williamson also leads this Duke team in steals? I mean, he's mm-hmm. like the blocks are. Are, are of course tremendous, uh, but I think there's a lot of discussion in basketball about how the block can be a bit overrated as a as a defensive effort, especially if you if you smash the ball out of bounds because then the other team just gets it back. But steals you can't dispute, and Zion Williamson leads this team, this defensive team that features Trey Jones. Zion Williamson leads this team in steals, and he had three more each night against uh, against good opponents this week. So I'm going to give it to Zion Williamson for uh, the defensive effort, especially down the stretch against Louisville. Uh, let's go now to parting shots. Donald, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So for my parting shot, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was out in Lincoln, Nebraska this past weekend. My soccer organization that I'm on the board for was having its annual meeting. So I got to head back to the middle of the country Uh, And guys, after Duke took care of NC State on Saturday, I was able to take in some Nebraska ball. That's right. Uh, Nebraska basketball uh, had a game against Northwestern. um, And uh, I was in Lincoln, was able to, in the middle of a snowstorm, uh, head to the game. Our guy, friend of the podcast, Chris Collins, was there coaching. And I got to take in the most mediocre of basketball games. Um, Nebraska uh, ended up winning over Northwestern 59 to 50. It was, it was one of those games where I think the first uh, Nebraska hit the 50 point mark, maybe with about five minutes left in the game. Um, it was a very big 10 score um, there, but Nebraska has been trying desperately to make the tournament. They, they were playing really well at the beginning of the season. They, but the last like three weeks or, or four weeks or so, uh, they may have played themselves out of the tournament, but they're desperately trying to get some quality wins. Uh, Northwestern, for maybe most of the second half, they couldn't hit water from a boat. Uh, it, it, it literally, they were just, everything was was clanging off the rim. Uh, but uh, that was really their downfall. But Pinnacle Bank Arena, uh, which is the home of the Cornhuskers, uh, is a pretty decent arena. They have really nice sight lines. We got. 100 level tickets uh and we were maybe like 20 rows off the court but it didn't feel like you were that far from the action uh but uh, the sight lines are really good seats over 15,000 most of the seats were full um and as they have been all year and uh you know that's pretty cool but their student section leaves something to be desired they they have a promotion where if the noise meter in the arena reaches 100 decibels Everyone in the arena wins a free runza, which is like a, a Northwestern, like, uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a Nebraska fast food delicacy. It's like a hot pocket. Um, they actually did hit 100 decibels um, on Saturday night. And I was told by my friends that it was the first time in nine games that they actually won the free runza based on that promotion. Uh, so that 
hundred decibels volume. is not is not that aggressive of a sound. So so yeah, to keep it in perspective, I don't think Cameron ever gets below a hundred except on free throws. Like a hundred decibels mm-hmm. is not that much of a barometer, but it, apparently it's something that is 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 a, is a is a gold standard at Nebraska. So they're gonna have to pick that up a little bit. But I did have a good. I had to have fun with my friends. It was nice to take in some basketball on a snowy night, and uh, I was glad I got to see. Uh, our boy Chris Collins work in action. He, he he's he's a very animated coach. Um, when you when you watch him live, which which is pretty cool. So, uh, it was good to take in some basketball, but it was good that we did it after Duke took care of NC State. All right, Jason, what do you got? I have two parting shots. First one, I just want to mention uh, this past week the ACC came out with the uh, schedule for for next season for the next several seasons. Um, when the ACC goes to a twenty game conference schedule, um. I'm not going to get into the specifics of, of who Duke plays, you know, in 2019-20 and 2020-2021 or anything like that, except to say this. Um, I am thrilled that the conference is going to a 20-game conference schedule. It means that we will now have six teams that we will play home and home. Um, in the past, we only had four. Um, and it gets you closer and closer to having a fair, balanced schedule. I know we'll, we'll never get to the point where we're playing a 28 – It would at this point, it would take a 28-game schedule to – uh, to, to have a full balanced home and home. We'll never get to that point. That's too many conference games. But um, but I like the fact that we're going to a 20-game schedule um, where, uh, you know, there won't be as many teams that you only play um, either on the road or only at home. Uh, more balanced, the better. It makes the regular season a little more relevant. And, and I'm, I'm pleased to see that that's happening um, in the conference. So that's the first part of my parting shot. Second part of my parting shot, I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch it, but um, the NBA All-Star Weekend, uh, NBA Saturday night, All-Star Saturday night, um, slam dunk contest, three-point shootout, and the skills challenge. Duke's own Jason Tatum won the NBA skills challenge, and I don't know if y'all saw how he did it. He did it by hitting a half-court shot (laughs) to beat Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. The skills challenge. You know, you have to dribble around some stuff, and you have to pass a ball through a target, and you have to hit a layup, and then you have to hit a three-pointer. So, uh, so Trey was was leading, and and looked like Trey was going to win. Tatum was several steps behind him, um, and Trey went all the way up to the three-point line to to take his three-point shot, uh, and Tatum sort of just as he crossed half court, just flung it because he was behind. There was no reason not to, you know, get in one shot before he got to that three-point line. And his three, his half-court heave um, went in. Uh, in fact, it, it just barely – Trey's shot also went in, but Tatum's went in just a, a fraction of a second sooner. Um, no, no, no. no. He so it was hit, very... he, his ball knocked Trey Young's ball out. Um, oh, yeah, like right. Yes, it. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He, he, he got it right <laughs> underneath of him. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, the the three point con- I'm sorry, not the three point con- the slam dunk contest uh, was unbelievably anticlimactic. Um, they need to stop this thing where where you're allowed to keep on att- making attempts and trying dunks once you've missed one. Dennis Smith must have missed like 15 dunks during the competition. It was just ugly. But Hamadou Diallo hit a a legendary dunk um, where he dunked over Shaquille O'Neal. He jumped over Shaq, and, and in doing so, he stuck his elbow in the rim. He hung on the basket and then pulled his shirt apart to reveal a Superman S. I am so glad that Hamadou Diallo won the slam dunk contest. Um, 
versus Dennis Smith because Dennis, like I said, Dennis Smith kept on missing his. When he'd make one, it was amazing, but he kept on missing. It was just, it was so awful. And I also want to congratulate Hamadou Diallo for winning the last contest that anyone not named Zion Williamson will win for the next four or five years until Zion decides he's not going to do this anymore. Zion's going to win next year. Put your money down in Las Vegas right now. The NBA Slam Dunk champion will be Zion Williamson in 2020. All right. I uh, I dig it. We'll see how long Zion Williamson lasts as a slam dunk competition uh, or slam dunk competitor before he just gets bored and decides that he's over it. Uh, guys, I have one quick parting shot, which is that it was great in Cameron on Saturday to see uh, to see so many former Duke stars uh, sitting behind the bench. Grayson Allen was there. Emil Jefferson was there. Lance Thomas, Quinn Cook, Gary Trent, Tyus Jones. I think I I think I got them all. But after the game, um, Blue Planet tweeted out a, a photo of of all the visitors up in the locker room and they had uh, representatives, I think who from three national championship teams because Nate James was on that 2001 team. So we had one guy from 2001, uh, three of the starters from 2010 were there because of course, John Shire and Nolan Smith are assistant coaches. And then uh, uh, Tyus Jones representing the 2015 team. So it was a, uh, it was a big family reunion. And Quinn. And Cameron. And Emil. Oh, and Quinn. That's right. Yeah. And, and Emil. Yeah. And Emil. You yeah, see, there you go. Uh, I can't even keep track of all of them. So uh, it's always fun when a Duke home game coincides with All-Star Weekend so that some of the uh, some of the recent alums who are in the NBA can take that time off to come to come check out a Duke game. So that was that was pretty exciting. I had a good time there. Um, so with that, I think we've uh, I think we've covered everything we need to. Of course, uh, everyone get really excited for the game this week. And uh, we'll talk to you perhaps um perhaps after the game or perhaps after the weekend, depending on how it goes. Don't forget, you can always get in touch with us uh, by emailing dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Um, that is a good place to ask us questions or inquire about sponsorships. As you know, we have a couple sponsors for the show, but we are certainly interested in, in any more if, you're, if you are out there. So dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And also don't forget to um, rate and review the podcast wherever, wherever you get it from because um, that helps our listenership and your listeners and we want there to be more of you so that would be great um, the numbers have been ticking up all year and and that's that's fun to see so for donald wine and for jason evans i am sam klein this has been episode 149 of the duke basketball report podcast pat yeah duke basketball report podcast go to hell carolina go to hell and duke band take us home